Let's take our Bibles and we're looking to 2 Peter today. Uh, we're drawing near. We've got this message and one more to conclude 2 Peter, this great epistle that we've been working through. We're in chapter 3. I want to pick up in the context by going back to ch- uh, chapter 3, verse 10, but I'm going to move through verse 16 today. So if you'll just follow along in a moment in your Bibles, that'll be a, a great help, along with the handout that we've given you where there's notes that you just might make your own notations or just make a little star about where you see or hear something that's uh, something that speaks to your life. So last week we noted how we ought to live knowing that the coming day of the Lord is drawing near. That's the day when he destroys all things and he's destroying all things to move toward the day of God, which is a day which really ushers us into an eternal home with him where we will abide with him and more importantly, he will abide, abide with us forever, those of us who have faith in Christ. So by faith, we're confident that our citizenship is already in heaven. Now that's a spiritual citizenship right now, but one day it is going to be made permanent and will be very physical. Until then, we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. And so as you have sickness and disease and weaknesses and pains, you're reminded that you have a lowly body, but it will not always be that way. He will make your body glorious without any sin, without any effect of sin. It'll be like Christ. So we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and that his kingdom is good. And that spiritual kingdom one day is going to be made physical when all things are made new. That's the day of God. So therefore, like Abraham, we live by faith, looking forward to a city who has foundations, whose designer is God himself. This is a great building. Uh, Evan and I were just talking about this is, this is a wonderful platform. The lighting and all that's great. The sound is good. But man, this is all made by men and women. <laughs> we're going to be dwelling in a place that is made by the, eterni- the eternal hand of God, the wonderful designer himself who spoke and created all things into being. And he will make us a home. So the writer of Hebrews describes that time as when Jerusalem is actually coming down, a city coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And then the the words of of the uh, revelationist says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Now that's the insight that we have, this background of where this is going. We've understood the last couple of weeks, the day of the Lord, which is a a day of consuming fire. We've understood now the day of God, which is a day in which eternity is brought about for us to be brought into his eternal home. It's the day of eternity, the beginning of that. But now let's look what Peter is talking about here because it's all linked together. In 2 Peter chapter three, let's go back to verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. That is, he's going to come with haste and sudden, with surprise. That day is coming, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will be melted away. They will melt as they burn. 
But according to the promise, his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven, a new earth, which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by them, by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of the Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. Let's pause there. Lord, give us insight, I pray. Give us a heart ready to receive this eternal truth, a mind that's engaged, singularly focused on you and your counsel. And Lord, by your grace, let your spirit stir in us the likeliness of Jesus. I pray in his name. Amen. Now I want to mention four realities for the citizens of the kingdom of God. These four realities that Peter is mentioning in this text. Just four quick points. First, we ought to live with expectant anticipation for the day of God in lives of holiness and godliness. Now, I discussed that point last week, so I'm not going to re-preach that section, but I did want to repeat it because it needs to be that we come in with that truth in mind, that he is requiring of us that we ought to live our lives expecting Christ to return. Have an eager anticipation for that. And that's not just waiting around. That is, that's eagerly doing the work of God as we are waiting for the return of Christ. Now, in light of our identity in Christ and his forthcoming return, Peter says we ought to live our lives in holiness and godliness. It's pretty easy for us to see and understand. But in the Greek language, it's a little bit unique. As you know, holiness is to be set apart from the things of the world and set unto God. Holiness has to do with our actions. It's it's spirit-filled living. The spirit that is alive within us is the Holy Spirit, and it is living out the expression of that holiness, this nature that he has given to us at our salvation. We've been born from above with a holy nature of God now in us, the very essence of Christ's spirit living within us, and the mind of Christ being given to us, and we exercise that, and that exercise is holiness, the actions. And he says we ought to live our life in holiness. And he also says we ought to live our life in godliness. Now, that's a reverent attitude. That, that's the way we engage in our thoughts, in our motives, in our purposes. It is the attitude of holy reverence of God that we would live godly. Now, in the Greek language, those two words, holy and godly, are actually plurals. We don't have plurals like that in the English language. It, it doesn't sound right because it's not a grammatical way that the English language is, is framed up. But if we were going to transliterate that in a very practical way that we would understand the Greek, it would be like this, that you ought to be living in holinesses and godlinesses. Now, the reason why I'm pointing that out is because he wants us to recognize this is the fullness of our life, that it's not just we choose godly lives or holy lives, 
but we choose it and we keep on choosing it. We act in holiness and we continue to act in holiness in a plural way and, and in godliness that is a, a continuous movement in our lives that we would be busy being holy and we would be busy in the godliness of our minds that we would choose in that way. Uh, we might say it that we would be holy and godly in our mind, in our motive, in our mission, and in our magnanimity. That is that the essence of our life is live for the glory and the honor of somebody else, and that is Jesus Christ. That's the practice that we ought to be engaging in. Now we have this way about us in our fleshliness to divide up our life. We have a division of our entertainment, we have a division of our work, we have a division of our family, we have a division of our whatever interest it is in church, and all these little pies. And that's not what he's saying to us. He's saying, with the expectation that Christ is returning, with the anticipation of that longing, that this might be the day, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Let it be that every aspect of who we are, our mind, our motive, our mission, our purpose in our living is Christ. His glory, his holiness, and the expressions of that. So we ought to live our life in that way with expectant anticipation in holiness and in godliness. Now look at the second point. It's in your handout. We ought to be diligent to be found by the Lord without spot or blemish. Now the older I get, the more spots and blemishes I have. You ever notice that? You got, them a, you got them when you're a teenager, then the Lord kind of gives you a little reprieve, and then you get in your 50s, it's like, wow, where did that come from? You get spots that you didn't know you were going to get, you get them in places you had no idea that they would come there, but there they are. And you can't hide them. Everybody sees the spots and the blemishes these days, but that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about these external spots and blemishes. He's talking about what's going on in your head, what's going on in your heart. What, what about those actions? What about those words being spoken? He says you ought to be diligent knowing that Christ is returning and the day of God is coming. You ought to be diligent. We ought to be diligent to be found by the Lord without spot or blemish. Now, I guess first, before we talk about our diligence without spot or blemish, we need to come to this conclusion. You and I, listen to me, you and I will be found by the Lord. The Lord is going to find you. It's not like you can come into this place and blend in with the crowd. No, on the day, the Lord will find you. And you will be right before him and him right before you. And in that moment, everything is going to be exposed. Let's consider that for a moment, that everything done in this body, as the scripture says, will be fully exposed before us and the Lord, and he has this conversation with us. I don't know how long that conversation lasts. He's got a lot to talk about with me. It's not until after that that he wipes away every tear. So that tells me in that moment, in that little dialogue that the master has with this servant and the master has with you, his servant, there will be an understanding, an opening of life and everything that you hope to be hidden is no longer hidden. Everything that you and I have done in darkness is now brought into the brilliant glory of the light of Jesus himself. Everything is going to be exposed in that moment. 
Now, in that, Peter says, knowing that that day is coming, knowing that that moment in time is coming, you and I ought to be diligent to live our life without spot or, blame, uh, spot or blemish, knowing that it's coming. It's a motivation. And it's not just in fear because Christ has taken all of the judgment of God upon himself on the cross. It's not like there's a punishment. Anybody have your mama ever say, when your daddy gets home? It's not that. Christ has already taken all the punishment. There's no wrath left for us. Christ has received that fully. And when he said, it's finished, guess what he meant? That's finished. But this dialogue between a master and a servant who had great expectation and great hope and grand anticipation for us to exercise in the gifts, the talents, the abilities, and all those things that he treasured in us, most namely his spirit, the very nature of Christ that dwells within us that wants to manifest himself in all these wondrous ways of God, those things he's going to hold us accountable to. And some of us, some of us are going to be able to say, oh, Lord, you treasured so much into my care. Here's all of that plus. And you'll be able to give him 10 talents. And others of you are going to be able to give him five talents in return. But some, some are going to say, Lord, I knew you to be a harsh one. And so I have, I've dug, in, dug a hole and I've put that talent in that hole. And now here's, here's what you have. It's, it's coming right back to you. And there's no investment whatsoever. He, he gave you the ability to teach, you didn't teach. He gave you the ability to sing, you didn't sing. He gave you the ability to give, you didn't give. And so you have nothing to offer him. In that moment, in that moment, we'll realize, wow, there's such spot and blemish. I wish I had been more diligent to live my life unto your glory. I see those moments like that are the time that I say, Lord, thank you for that reminder. Thank you. Because the coming day in which all those things will be exposed and everything done in my own strength and in my own way is just going to be burned away. It's going to be proven to be worth nothing just to be burned away. But all those things that you treasured, that I demonstrated faith in doing and exercising unto the glory of Jesus, all of that will be wondrously rewarded. It'll be like a treasure stored up in heaven where there's no moth or rust or thieves that can take it away. It will be given to us by God himself. And that treasure, what a treasure it will be. I imagine that we will in turn take all of that that he gives to us in reward for faithfulness in that moment and we will just lay it at Jesus' feet and say, oh Lord, only you are worthy to receive such reward. And so in that, Peter is saying, be diligent to be found without spot or blemish. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, we've got to give an a appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due, what he's done in this body, whether it's good or bad. And Paul says really concisely in Romans chapter 14, verse 12, each of us will give an account of himself to God. And so with that insight, he says, be diligent. Spudazo is the word in the original language, and it means to make haste, to be, to be eager to exert oneself. 
Now, in, in our fallen flesh, we have this tendency not to be eager to exert ourselves in the things of God. We, we are not very hasty in the things of God. In fact, we often put what's primary into a secondary spot, and what is secondary, we lift it to what is primary. And Peter is challenging on that to us, and he's saying, no, 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 you need to be spedazo. You need to be with haste about these things of God that you know that he is going to reward you for your faithfulness if you do. So stop squandering this opportunity in which God has given you knowing that the day of God is coming when you will stand before him. And on that day, he'll test all your motives, he'll test your actions, and that which is of no value will be burned away and that which is of eternal value will be rewarded. So make haste to that. Would you let me just preach for a moment and tell you, stop putting off what is essential to the kingdom of God. Make haste. Knowing the day is coming, make haste. Don't procrastinate serving him anymore. He's treasured to you, gives talents and abilities. Make haste to use those things. Don't delay in your generous giving any longer. Make haste to lay up for yourself a treasure in heaven where nothing can take it away. Make haste. Some of you are pushing back from the Spirit's conviction, allowing temptation to hang around as if it's okay to cling to that which is entangling you and weighing you down. And he's saying, make haste to run this race, this spiritual race, that you might receive the prize. Pay, a, pay careful attention then what Peter is saying when he's saying, make haste to be found without spot or blemish. The spot and blemish thing is on Peter's mind. Because if you remember, this is important in this part of the epistle. In chapter 2, he pointed out people who were not in Christ. They claimed to be, and they were even teachers or prophets. But he said they are full of spot and blemishes. In fact, he went on in a list, a little tirade about that. He says they've got this insatiable desire for sin. They train themselves in greed. They're spiritually dry. They may try to offer you some refreshment, but they're not even refreshed themselves. They're spiritually dry. And they are slaves to corruption. He says, don't be like them who are full of spot and blemish. And now he says in chapter 3, he's saying, you and I need to be diligent, making haste, be eager about this. To know that God is going to find us, and when he finds us, you want to be diligent without spot or blemish. You want to live your life in that way. You know what that tells us? That in the congregation, there might be people who are full of spot and blemish, but try to fake it. And there will be others who will be full of Christ and diligent not to have spot or blemish. And together they mix and mingle in this place and it's hard to tell them apart. But one day, in the day of the Lord, they will be divided. And he says it will be like a shepherd who divides out the sheep and the goats, one to eternal life, one to eternal damnation. And Peter is just making mention of this, that there are some who fake it, full of spot and blemish, and others who are cleansed by Christ and are diligent with the Spirit of Christ to not have spot or blemish. Just recognize that those two could be in this place. Some of you might be in that place right now where you're in chapter two and he's calling you to chapter three living. Make haste to exercise faith. What a chilling observation. 
So sheep in right relationship with Jesus Christ are diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish. Now look, you're not gonna be able to clean up the spots and blemishes. As, as much as I want to, these little eight spots that are coming up, I can't get rid of them. They continue, I can't change that. And you can't change the spot or blemish in your soul. But I know the one who can. I know the Savior who can, his name is Jesus. And he will take all that away. He will cleanse you from the inside. And he will wash you. What was once filthy will be completely white like snow. And all the blemishes will be gone. Your faith and trust in him, his righteousness extended to you, his forgiveness given to you, he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness as he creates in you a new so spots has to do with this Christian character, as you know. It's the kind of people we are, not necessarily the kind of people we are perceived to be, but who we really are. And blemish has to do with this authentic Christian reputation, a reputation that is grounded in the virtue and the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is alive in us. He says, be diligent, make haste to live your life in that way. Number three, you're moving along with me? You still hanging with me? Because as I was going back through this for the second or third time this morning, I was thinking, mm, point three, probably some of them will be lagging. So come on, let's run this race together. Part three is we ought to be diligent to be found by the Lord at peace with him. All right, now listen, this is a big point because one of the things that I hear constantly is Christians battling with a, with a lack of peace. Listen, Jesus wants you to have peace. I want you to hear me because Jesus said before his departure to his followers, my peace I leave with you. And you tell me that Jesus doesn't want us to exercise peace. Have peace, exercise that which he's given to us. But we struggle with this. So here's, here's Peter's point. We've got to be diligent to be found by Christ in pursuit of spotlessness and blamelessness, and at peace with him. What is he talking about? Well, first we have peace with God that comes through our faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, once, once Saul was converted by the Lord, and uh, you know, his name was, was uh, altered a little bit because he was going to be the preacher to the Gentiles, so his name now is going to be Paul. And as Paul reflects on those truths, here, here's the way he starts almost every letter. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, a bondservant to him, and he'll say whoever the letter's written to, grace and peace to you. You know why he's always saying grace and peace? Because God gave him a gift of salvation, what grace that is, and that grace brought peace to his life. Peace with God. <laughs> You've got peace with God. You'll have peace with anybody else. Grace and peace. So here he's saying this peace that you have is through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. But that's really not the point. I don't think that Peter's making here. That's the foundation. You've got to have that. If you don't have this justification by Christ and his glorious work on the cross and resurrection, then you're not going to ever have peace. But from that grounding of peace. He's referring, I think, to a peace with the daily walk that we have with God. And I, I think what he's wanting us to recognize is this, that purity and peace go hand in hand. 
Right, so if you don't have purity, you're not going to have peace. The impure times of my life are the times that I'm not at peace with God. That doesn't have anything to do with my salvation, but it has everything to do with my fellowship and peace with him. There's conflict. There's tension. There's, uh, I, don't, I don't really want to pray right now. I've got this sin that's unconfessed and unrepentant in my life. And, and uh, I know that. There's conflict. There's angst in me. Uh, or, or maybe you come into this room and you're like, I'm just going to chew my gum. I'm not going to sing while they're singing. Maybe it's because you're not at peace with God. That the heart of God is not akin to your heart. And so he is saying we ought to be diligent to be found by the Lord at peace with God. When he comes or when you die and go to him, will you in that moment be at peace with him? Are you peaceful with the idea that the Lord just may come today? He's saying live your life at peace with him. So Peter is reminding this, this this holiness and godliness in our lives that we're pursuing and diligence will bring about a peace. And that peace is free from worrying about death or the day of the Lord or standing before him to give an account for the life, all the things that you've done in this body. When you live diligent to godliness and holiness in pursuit of life without blemish or spot, then you are living a life with peace. But now living with unconfessed sin and walking in an unrepentant way, it will rob you of peace. I'm telling you on account of the scripture and I'm telling you on account of personal experience. Unconfessed sin or sin that you let stay in your life without turning from it, that will rob you of peace all the time. It stirs up tension about the Lord's return. It stirs up in in a way that the day of of the Lord or the day of God, which is meant to be a day of celebration and of feasting and of reward. It turns that thought about the day of God into a tense moment of, I don't know that I really want to stand before him. It's not living at peace. So you can sense this kind of um, peace that the apostle Paul had. This is a passage that I know you've heard many times, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Listen to it with this idea that Paul is living with peace. As he's dying, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Could I, could I put those phrases in one word? Diligence. There's Diligence. This is my life. This is my diligent life. I have fought a good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearance. You you know what that is? That's confidence and peace. I'm longing for the day of God. I'm longing before it because I have kept the faith. I've run the race. I've been diligent to pursue the things of God. And so to those who love is appearing, they have no fear or anxiety because they live openly with him in anticipation of of his return. Look, try as I might, I will not live spotlessly or unblemished in this world. I'm still residing within the flesh that I was born in And that flesh is 
riddled with sin. Now, that doesn't mean I have to be the man I used to be. That doesn't mean that I am eager to engage in the things of the flesh. In fact, it's quite the contrary. But I will not be spotless or blameless in this world. But I can still have peace because I am quick to confess and quick to repent of those things. I don't want to go there. I don't want to continue to do that. So I want to confess and repent of those things. Live openly before my Father, fully trusting Jesus who is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Forgive us, fully trusting him, anticipating that day. Diligently pursuing peace by walking purposefully with him. I'm not attempting to hide sin, neither should you. Shouldn't continue in it. Instead, we're eager to return and expect the return of our Savior. Therefore, we have strong Christian faith and obedience, and we're not ashamed at his coming. If somehow, some way, it's not going to happen, but if somehow, some way, somebody had insight that the Lord was going to return before 10 p.m. tonight, would you live the next 12 hours at peace? Would you? The Lord's returning tonight, 10 o'clock. That's not a prophetic statement. Maybe 9.59. Who knows? But if he's returning tonight before the evening news, would the rest of this day be at peace? I'm telling you, it can be. It can. And that's what Peter longs for us to have. Just diligently living in godliness and holiness. Diligent to live without spot or blemish. Diligent to live at peace. Because it may be 10 o'clock. It may be 10 a.m. You got six minutes. Are you at peace? That's what he's calling us for. Now listen, God doesn't call us to anything that he doesn't prepare us for. He gives us every means necessary to have in full what he is calling for us to do. So if he is telling us to live at peace, he is given, giving us the measure by which we can live in peace. First, we come to faith in Jesus Christ. He cleanses us, forgives us, imputes in us righteousness. He gives to us the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. He gives us the mind of Christ. He gives us his word, which is a holy word inspired by him, breathed out by him to be a light for our path that we might diligently walk in godlinesses and holinesses, practicing constantly those things. It's possible probable, very much doable. Once you live in his peace, would you be confident knowing that you're saved and that the day of the Lord is not for you a day of destruction? Would you be confident in your salvation? If not, you need to set, start today in faith in Christ so that you might be confident in him. Surrender your life to him as he's graciously giving you opportunity to be made born again from above. Not some action on your part, but fully on him alone. Trust him at the end of the service in the invitation time. There will be people standing down front. You just walk down to one of them and say, I'm trusting Jesus today to be saved. Let them encourage you. They'll pray with you and let them begin a 
a discipling relationship with you? Would you be confident in your salvation? Would you be at peace knowing that the Lord is going to settle accounts tonight at 10 o'clock p.m.? As a master settles with the stewards, the master has gone away and trusted everything to the steward and says, I'm coming back. I want to come back. I want to find that there's an abundance. I want to find that you've made good investments. So all that treasure that God has given to you, all that ability, all that supernatural giftedness, all that talent, is he in his coming going to find a handsome dividend by your exercise and investment in his kingdom? If not, you can have peace today, but your faith and trust in Christ, the Redeemer. Trust in him that, that as you confess your sins and walk in fellowship with him and invest in his kingdom, that you can be at peace. Walking in God's grace and fellowship with Christ while pursuing spirit-filled living brings perfect peace. That's what he wants you to have. All right, so last point. We ought to live evangelistically. Here's what Peter says, you ought to live evangelistically. It's written in verse 15. Count the patience of the Lord as salvation. The New Living says it this way, the Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. So this patience of God is in the midst of his his, uh, extension to people to be saved. He wishes that none would perish, but all would come to reach repentance. It's what he's doing right now. And so God is longing that his elect will repent and possess salvation. That's his intent before his return. And that should be our intent as well. So we sometimes think of patience as just a non-pursuit. It's like just hanging out. But that's not what God is meaning here. Patience often means having fortitude. And uh, not just having fortitude, but being patient, eagerly productive. Sometimes it's difficult to be productive, and you have to be patient in order to receive the production. And so I think that's what Peter is saying here. In, In your communication of the gospel, why the Lord is seemingly tarrying, he's not tearing late as people would consider it late. Instead, he's exercising long-suffering, wishing that people would come to faith, wanting people to come to repentance. And while he's doing that, you're going to need to be patient, pursue with fortitude so that you're sharing the gospel constantly. Man, it takes patience in this culture, doesn't it? I mean, it seems like the majority of culture wants nothing to do with God wants nothing to do with the treasures of his scripture. They don't care about Christ. That's not true. More people are coming to faith today than ever in history. Did you hear that? More people are entering the kingdom of God today than has ever entered the kingdom of God at any time. It's a wonderful time to be sharing the gospel. While God is patient, knowing the day of the Lord is coming, it's a wonderful time to share the gospel. And Peter is encouraging us to do just that. In our troubled spirits with the culture, we might say, I can't believe they act like that. Well, of course they act like that. They're sinners. I can't believe that they live that way or espouse that. Of course they do. They're dead in their sin. What did you expect? Birds chirp, frogs croak. And sinners sin. That's just the way it is. So stop being so troubled by that. Instead, step toward them. 
knowing that God's patience is the opportunity for you and me to extend his good news. God is speaking. God is moving. His spirit is saving. So I want you to hear this. God's word has not grown weak, and his gospel has not shortened its reach, and his spirit has not diminished in his ability and willingness to convict people concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Instead, the Lord is mighty to save. He's in the business of saving souls. It's an ever-expanding, soul-saving business, and it's an enterprise that is open 24-7, 365 days a year, and nothing shutters his transforming work. Not wars, famines, corrupt governments, outbreaks, rebellions, sinful movements, violence, or anything else. Meadowbrook, let us be patient with real fortitude to share the gospel of Christ with the lost, for God is patient. And as God is patient, he wants us to be. Don't write off people in the world. Just keep plowing. Plow ahead. And as you plow ahead, sow the seeds. And trust that God can bring life from what was once dead. So just keep plowing. Just keep scattering. Just keep sowing. And leave the results up to God. Oh, probably uh, three or four months ago, Kay and I were scattering some seed. We needed some grass to grow in an area that just is constantly muddy. And we sowed that seed and we took umpteen bales of straw and we put that straw over that. And I knew this particular seed takes a little while to germinate, so I was trying to be patient. But my patience was wearing thin because it was a lot of work. Week one went by, nothing. Week two went by, nothing. That's about the time that I was thinking, okay, this thing's going to transform now. Week three went by, nothing. Week four, absolutely nothing. But about week five, these little bitty sprouts started coming. And now, not all of it, but some of it, is yay high. Now we held that seed. I'm telling you, that seed was dead. There was no life in it. Nothing green in there. It, it was just going to rot away. We threw it out there, and the results were left to God. And in God's perfect timing, that seed started to sprout. I think that's a good lesson for us. You've got people at work. You're going to have people at school in August. You're going to have people in your neighborhood that you just keep sowing. You're like, Lord, I see no life whatsoever. Well, how about God is the only one can make life from what is dead? How about God is the only one who can resurrect? God is the only one who can transform. Just take his word and sow it. And walk away and say, I'll leave the results to the Lord. In either way, God will be glorified. Just trust him. Would you pray with me? Lord, please help us to diligently pursue life in purity without spot or blemish. And by your grace, we thank you that you have given us who are in faith in Christ peace with you. Now help us to live a life full 
of peace as we long for your return. And as we anticipate your glorious return, we desire to help others by patiently and faithfully sharing the gospel. Help us to live it out fully and communicate it regularly. And may Jesus be glorified. In his name I pray, amen.